Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis. And this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Welcome everybody to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today I'm exploring the fascinating history of the UK's historic fleet. So that is to say the historic vessels that survive in UK waters, many afloat but also those on hards and slipways as you might expect but also those in sheds or even hidden in woodland. Uh, You wouldn't believe where you will find vessels of historic importance in the UK if only you know where to look. To find out more, I'm speaking today with Hannah Cunliffe, director of something called National Historic Ships UK. It's a government-funded independent organisation which gives objective advice to UK governments and local authorities, funding bodies and, of course, the historic ships sector on all matters relating to historic vessels in the UK. So if you want to know about Britain's historic ships, then Hannah really is the person you need to speak with. And winter is a particularly good time to be interested in what these guys are doing as they have their annual awards ceremony around now, which you can catch up with online. And they also have the results of their brilliant annual photography competition. So do please check all of that out. We will post links onto the podcast episode page on the Society for Nautical Research's website at snr.org.uk. I met Hannah at the Portsmouth Historic Dockyard and we spent a bit of time pootling around Portsmouth Harbour on one of the National Historic Ships registered vessels, HMS Medusa. Now she is a harbour defence motor launch built in 1943. We filmed the episode so you can have a good look at this wonderful vessel as well as Portsmouth Harbour from the viewpoint of her decks and you can also... Find that on the Society for Nautical Research's Facebook page and, more importantly, the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube page, where you can find some wonderful videos we've been creating over the past year. But for now, here is Hannah. Hannah, National Historic Ships UK, we're on a historic vessel and this is an absolute cracker. Tell me about Medusa. 
Uh, yeah, we certainly are. Well, Medusa is um, a member of our National Historic Fleet. So that is the um, currently 200 vessels which have been deemed the best representatives of their type and therefore they merit the highest priority in terms of conservation. And if you ask me why is Medusa on the National Historic Fleet? Well, she is the last surviving vessel that took part in the D-Day landings at Omaha Beach. So she's uh, definitely pretty special. And she's not the best representative of her class. She's the only surviving ship of her class, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so in the case of Medusa, she is the only surviving HDML. Yeah, which is a, what does HDML stand for? A Harbour Defence Motor Launch. And so what, what, we'll find out a little more from Alan, I think, <laughs> about her exact details. But do you know much about her, her history or what she was actually involved in? Uh, well, she was built in 1943 in Poole, um, and so she was uh, obviously a central part of the, the war efforts. Um, as I said, she was uh, at the D-Day landings. Um, I think she was marking the navigational approaches to Omaha Beach. Um, and then another claim to fame, um, she went on to be the first uh, Allied vessel into Amsterdam um, after the surrender. So. Uh, yeah, she's, well, she's had a pretty distinguished career. Yeah, for all of our listeners out there, we're definitely going to find some more uh, out about the uh, the operational history of the Medusa. But for now, let's talk about National Historic Ships. Um, how long has it been set up? What was the the kind of the motivation behind behind setting it all up? Yeah, so um, National Historic Ships came formally into being back in 2006 when we got funding from the government. Um, really, the motivation was to carry on some work that began in the early 1990s to set up the National Historic Ship Registers. This is a set of databases that categorise the surviving historic vessels around the UK. Yeah. Um, so let's just stop there because it's amazing. Prior to that, there was no register of historic vessels in the UK. There was no money to help people um, kind of come up with conservation plans. The, the, the whole sort of British historic fleet had been more or less forgotten. Well, um, that's not strictly true. I think, um, you know, we are an island nation. We've got a very proud and strong maritime past. But what I would say is before that, that people were, were saving vessels on a more of an ad hoc basis. So you'd get, you know, some fantastic conservation efforts from individual groups. But um, there was no sort of strategic effort or strategic overview of what was happening in the UK in terms of historic ships, what should be saved, what's more important, you know, where should, for example, public money be going. Um, and so really that's what National Historic Ships came into being to do, um, partly to be a voice for the sector, to support the people out there doing the conservation work, but also to act as an advisor to government and to bodies like the National Lottery Heritage Fund so that we can help to make sure that you know the vessels that are really important that are the only one of their type are being saved. Yeah give me an example of some of the exciting projects that are, you're working on now. Um, well, actually, at the moment, we are working slightly more on the skills side because what we quickly realised when we were first set up was that it's not enough to save the vessels because actually if you don't save the supporting infrastructure, the skills and the services that go into conserving and maintaining vessels like this, you may as well not have the vessel because you, you really do need the people to work on it and the materials and, and those facilities and spaces where they can be dry docked and etc. So, um, yeah, we've... Uh, 
we've started a number of projects where we've been actually focusing on the, the traditional maritime skills. And in fact, this week is traditional skills week for us. Ah, right, okay. And uh, we're out there on social media, we're promoting all types of uh, maritime skills um, on the back end of a National Lottery Heritage funded project, which we've been running since 2014. And this is a, a scheme that's been to bring younger people into the sector. So we've actually hosted now 26 training placements uh, since 2014 for young people um, aged between 18 to 30 and those people have had that chance to go on board a historic vessel to be on a placement over a 12-month period and to learn what goes into conserving maintaining and operating these craft yeah it's interesting coming on the Medusa how bewildering the number of skills required are so I mean this obviously has an engine but it's got all the same problems of navigating and there's rope around the whole, the whole vessel's made of wood so there's um there's so many different requirements there but then if you go on a sailing boat like a you know a yawl or, or a schooner whatever it might be you're suddenly you've got you're, you're confronted with all the rigging and it all requires specialist knowledge it's 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 quite alarming the amount of skills you need don't you think yeah absolutely i mean it is a bit of a portfolio and and i think what's interesting about the registers that we maintain is that there are so many different ships and boats on those registers you know we've got everything from lifeboats to canal boats to um you know warships to um passenger carrying craft and cargo craft to yachts there's everything you can think of really that represent the sort of full spectrum of british maritime history yeah um and so obviously there's a base level of skills and understanding and kind of specialist knowledge that you need to look after those craft but then also there is the sort of skills peculiar to each individual vessel type yeah, yeah. so if you've got a sailing vessel you need to know about traditional rigs if you've got um, a vessel like Medusa obviously you need some marine engineering knowledge so um, it is you know it is very specialist and um, what we've tried to do in, in the training scheme that we're just coming out of now, we've actually offered two training routes. So we've been focusing particularly on the operational sailing vessels. So people have been able to go on board and, and learn traditional seafaring skills um, on board an operational yacht or um, with either a gaff, a lug or a, or, um, a sprit rig. And that's been their kind of focus. And then other trainees have chosen to go down um, a museum shipkeeping route. And that's been about trying to upskill the people that work in museums and look after historic vessels mm. who may have an excellent knowledge of um, collections management and that type of thing, but have never had that practical opportunity to actually do any maintenance or go out on and operate one of those vessels. Mm. So it's bringing those practical skills into the museums. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear actually. And um, when we walked here, we're at Portsmouth Historic Dockyard for all of you those listening um, and we walked through the boathouse number four where there was loads of people working on working with the traditional maritime crafts it was wonderful to see and to hear there was quite a lot of hammering going on wasn't there <laughs> yeah no well boathouse four is a, a great place to visit and um, it's actually got the international um, boat building and training college Portsmouth um, based here at boathouse four and it's also one of the hubs of what we call the ship shape network so um, back in 2010 we set up the ship shape network which was again to focus on those traditional skills but also to try and connect people across the sector who are who are doing training projects who perhaps are conserving a historic vessel who are doing any kind of maritime heritage activity and what we found is that people are often um, doing their project in almost in isolation yeah. and they don't realize that perhaps there's another group you know a few miles down the coast doing something very similar and actually getting together sharing knowledge sharing ideas can also help them enormously 
So our network is about connecting those sort of disparate groups around the coast. And because um, we are London based, but we cover the whole UK and we've got a relatively small team, we felt like actually what we need are organisations that we can almost partner with, who can be our ambassadors on the ground. And so we've now got five um, ship-shaped hubs, as we're calling them, um, of which Boathouse 4 is one. So these are organisations out there in the different zones of the network who can pull together projects that are happening locally, they can um, provide events space, they can um, support people as they're conserving their vessels and, and just boost that sort of skills knowledge yeah. at a local level. Very impressive. So all of this is sort of going on alongside the, the National <laughs> Register, the historic fleet. You said there were 200 vessels on that uh, in that historic fleet. What does it take to get put on the register? How do you get put on the register? <laughs> Um, well, it's not as, as complicated as, as you might imagine. Um, we actually have a sort of set of databases. So we, the National Register of Historic Vessels is our core database. Um, there's about 1,300 vessels on, on there at the moment. And then uh, from that, we pull the National Historic Fleet, which are, the, as I say, the 200 sort of best uh, surviving representatives of their type. Um, to get onto that basic register, you've just got to meet some um, simple criteria. So your vessel has to be over 33 feet in length overall. So we tend to deal with um, the slightly larger vessels. There is a national small boat register that exists for anything under that, uh, that length, which is managed by the National Maritime Museum in Cornwall. Um, so you have to be over 33 feet in length overall. You have to be over 50 years of age. Um, the, the vessel has to be substantially intact in UK waters and of um, UK significance or built in the UK. And provided you can sort of tick those boxes, um, it's a pretty straight path onto the, the, the basic register. What was the most recently added? Oh, you've got me there, but oh, okay. I, I would say <laughs> nip onto our website because on our homepage, um, we do have at the bottom of the homepage, we have all the latest registrations and they pop up there as they update. So um, we're sort of continually adding. I think we added about 30 new vessels to the, the main register last year. Um, so it is a sort of a cyclical pro process. And as uh, vessels come of age, um, they will apply and, and come onto the register. Well, Medusa's clearly afloat. We've had a wonderful time sailing out with her. But, you know, nearby there are other historic vessels which are not so lucky, are there? Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd say it's uh, perhaps not so lucky, but I think, um, you know, groups that are looking after these vessels have to make a choice about whether they're going to conserve them as an operational craft or uh, whether perhaps they're going to preserve them, put them into a static environment where they're less likely to deteriorate um, and, you know, they'll be there for future generations to enjoy. Yeah. And we certainly have um, a mix on the registers of both types of craft and there are plenty um, that are there in museums for, you know, the public. To, to go and enjoy. Yeah. Most famous, I think, HMS Victory. There's, there's a static one for you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And just, just down the road here, she um, obviously is uh, hugely well known and undergoing a, a massive conservation programme at the moment um, that will hopefully see her secure for you know many years to come. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. The Peggy in The Art of Man is one that I'm particularly fond of. Tell me about that. Yes, yeah, she's a fascinating, a fascinating vessel. Um, uh, built from the late 18th century and uh, what was really interesting about her is that she was discovered in a cellar on the Isle of Man yeah. um, and she'd been you know lying there sort of unknown unknown for um, several hundred years uh, suddenly discovered and uh, brought to light and and you know she really did shine a light on that period of history um, when she she operated as a, a yacht I believe for, for one of the wealthy families on, on the island yeah it's perfectly preserved and you've got your virtual award ceremony coming up soon haven't you that's 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 on the case and one particular thing I'm interested in there is the um, the wonderful uh, photographic competition tell me about that yes that's a really nice uh, initiative that um, we've we've sort of had running for about 10 years now and we wanted to uh, find a way to reach out to new audiences because I think one of our first tasks as an organization was to kind of get that buy-in for the from the sector so that they realized that you know we're on their side we're here to support them we are the voice of historic vessels but then having having got that and built that relationship up with with the owners of the vessels actually what we wanted to do was to get maritime heritage out there get it more widely recognized and to you know to remind people of their maritime past and, and the fact that these vessels are here for us all to enjoy and so the photography competition was a really fun way to do that so um, what we do is every year we have an annual photography competition we have a theme uh, we encourage people to send their images in and then we recognize them in our annual award ceremony um, obviously prior to COVID that was a, a sort of prestigious event in a nice uh, maritime themed London location last year by necessity we made it into a, a virtual ceremony and it was a huge success beyond our sort of wildest dreams um, in a physical sense we probably get about 100 people to something like that online we had two and a half thousand views and it um, you know people writing in saying how much they'd enjoyed it and how they'd really got a sense of what we do as an organization and also what the sector had to offer yeah and particularly, I think, for the listeners out there, do check out the photography competition because there's one way of getting inspired by historic vessels. It's by looking at these remarkable, remarkable pictures and such a mixture between um, such beautiful survivors of the past, but extreme talent in photography as well. Yes, you're right. I mean, what's fantastic is that we'll get people entering from, you know, young children just wanting to have a go right up to the professional photographer. You know, we get amateurs, we've had drone photography. It's It's been a real um, mix and, and some wonderful images that we can then use, you know, to promote our sector as well, which yeah. is a, a really nice thing to be able to do. So where would people find you online? 
Uh, well, obviously on our website, so that's www.nationalhistoricships.org.uk, but also on social media. We're very active across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we've been running a lot of campaigns. We've done Instagram takeovers last year. We do live chats for our um, distance learning course. You know, we do, we do a lot online. So um, we're very welcoming and open to people who want to get in touch, who want to find out more about these vessels or um, vessel owners who just want to come to us for support or advice. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today. <laughs> thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Alan, tell me about the Medusa. Okay, well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Medusa is uh, 80 something years old now. She was built in 1943. She was built in Poole, so a local vessel. And the Navy actually built 464 of these. Wow. Um, the design concept was to uh, stay offshore for long periods of time to keep submarines out of harbours. Uh, there was a fear that submarines would get in, cause chaos. And so this class of vessel would patrol at sea uh, for months at a time. Uh, they've got the ability to detect a submarine and then deal with it if they find one. And how did that detection work? Uh, it's a thing called ASDIC. It's the forerunner of sonar. And uh, uh, underneath the, the vessel, there used to be a, a dome, which looked a bit like one of the old motorcycle sidecars. Right. And uh, that was under there. And that put a pulse of sound in the water pointing forwards. And uh, if it got a reflection back from a submarine, it could measure the range and the bearing of the submarine. And then was that printed out on a piece of paper or was it seen on a yeah, screen? There's, uh, um, there's a chart recorder, so it's printed. Um, the, the operator could hear it and a skilled operator could tell the difference between the ping from a shoulder fish and the submarine. Wow. And um, uh, then the, the chart plotter um, enabled you to do a simple calculation um, to determine the right time to drop the depth charge. Yeah. And we carry six depth charges. I saw those at Stern, aren't they? Um, tell me about those. How do they work? Um, they, they work uh, on depth. And the first thing you have to do with a key is set the depth that you wish them to go off at, anything between 50 and 500 feet. And, 500 feet? That's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and a U-boat, some went down as deep as 700 feet, but the normal operational depth was, was no deeper than 500. Yeah. So uh, it, it covered that range. And uh, there was just a signal from the ASTIC operator when he'd got a continuous echo, we were above it. Um, they were rolled over the side and then the next task was get out of the way quickly. <laughs> so what was inside them? They're just crammed with explosives? Crammed with explosives. And uh, there's what's called a depth pistol. And so when they get to the depth that you set, they detonate. And um, the, the, the shockwave, um, is that what uh, sort of affected the submarine? Yeah, uh, essentially you have to get within 20 feet of the submarine to destroy it or 100 feet to damage it. Wow. Uh, as these vessels were operating in relatively shallow water, then uh, uh, getting within 20 feet in the vertical wasn't too difficult. You just had to get the horizontal axes correct. Yeah. And, uh, so it was actually quite relatively easy to deal with once you'd found one. Once you found it, yeah. But it's a big piece of water out there, you've got to find it first. Yeah. So there were 400 and something of these, but this is, this is the only one left? This is the only one that's now in original condition, fully operational, uh, operating original machinery. Uh, around the world, there's about 18 hulls left now, but most of them are houseboats. Um, there's two working in uh, New Zealand uh, that have been kept pretty well. There's a few in restoration in the UK but uh, this is the only one at the moment that's uh, fully working. And what about her operational history? What do we know about that? Um, it's pretty impressive. Um, she started out uh, in Poole when she was built, 
and the first thing she did was went round to Scotland, as they all did for, for working up crew training. Ah. Um, on the way back, she went into Falmouth and had special equipment fitted that was going to be for D-Day. And the next task was Slapton Sands for the D-Day practice assault. Um, exercise Fabius, which was the assault for uh, Omaha. Uh, the other one, Tiger, the, the practice for Utah went very wrong. Um, then a few days later, then um, D-Day itself, and uh, she was based at Portland by then. She left uh, Portland on the morning of the 4th of uh, June, that's uh, two days before the invasion, and she had to go to an exact position which was on the edge of the German minefield on the other side and mark that position. And then uh, the night before D-Day, the minesweepers homed on this vessel, went through and cut, and then she had to stay in the middle of that channel, which was any quarter of a mile wide, in awful conditions, uh, to act as a homing beacon for the whole invasion force. Wow. So essentially, if she'd been off station, then the Omaha invasion force would have sailed into a minefield. How do they find the mines in the first place? Um, when they actually sweep the mines, uh, there's different techniques for different sorts of mines. Uh, most of the mines are what are called contact mines. And so they have a sinker on the seabed, which reels out length of cable, and the mine itself is held at a predetermined depth. And those are swept by using a serrated wire between two vessels. And uh, it's, it's just a big cheese cutter that goes through. Um, and then there's such things as acoustic mines, which are um, reacting to the sound of ship's, ship's uh, engines. Um, they're swept by making a, a loud noise, so setting them off at a distance. And then there's the tricky ones, which are magnetic mines, um, which respond to the ship's magnetic signature. And they're swept by trailing a long cable and putting an electric pulse through it, and uh, that will trigger the mine. Wow, an entire science of uh, maritime activity there. It was absolutely cat and mouse all through the war. Every time the Germans came up with a development, we had to find a way of um, sweeping it, and vice versa. Yeah. And uh, so the, the technology moved on hugely. Yeah, terrifying. How many crew on board? Twelve. Uh, two officers, two petty officers, and eight others. And uh, the two officers on here wartime, they were Royal Navy Volunteer Reserve, which meant they were peacetime sailors, just taken into the Navy, put in the uniform, and pretty much told to get on with it. Uh, it was um, remarkably spacious accommodation, or do you think it would have been pretty cramped and miserable on board? Um, the wardroom for the two officers is absolutely great. Isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I, 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 I love it. I live there. <laughs> um, the two petty officers do quite well. Uh, they've got a cabin with their, their own heads in there, their own loo. And um, up forward, there's uh, six bunks for eight people. So uh, you end up hot bunking. Yeah. But um, compared to sort of mainstream vessels of the day, which were still hammocks, to, to have your own bunk was pretty good going. Yeah. And what about the story of the ship's restoration? How did that come about? Well, it's been a bit of a continuous process. Um, the, the one thing about this vessel is that she hasn't been put back because she's never changed. Um, a lot of the historic vessels you see around the place operating now have spent part of their life as houseboats and have been put back again. Um, this one's quite unusual, in fact absolutely unique, because she's always looked like this. She's a bit trigger's broom, um, because continuous work has been done on her um, for oh, years and years. But uh, this particular one, we did a major overhaul between 2005-2010, because she'd got to the point, bearing in mind these were designed for a five-year life, yeah. Um, she was 60 and she was telling us something. Um, we had a choice of put her in the shed and preserve her in the shed or preserve her at sea. Yeah. Uh, one kept all the original fabric um, but lost its soul. Um, the other one kept its soul and lost some of the original fabric. Um, yeah. 
everybody said you've got to keep one of these at sea so that's what we did yeah. um, not an easy task uh, we got some quotations and they were all the wrong side of four million wow um, we were never going to raise that and in the end um, we took over a derelict boatyard put it back in action took on 15 apprentices uh, ran it as a training project for five years and at the end of the time the boatyard which was destined to be a block of flats was handed back as a working boatyard and still nice. is brilliant uh, the youngsters got a career and we got the ship immaculately wow. so redone everyone's happy um, but total cost one and a half million okay so you know a quarter or so of what you were you were expecting yeah. um but it, it, it wonderful seeing her like this but a, a bit of a headache, but a bit concerning about what's going to happen in the future. I mean, it's run by a team of, of volunteers now. You've got to keep those volunteers coming, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a little joke uh, that we're going to put a strap line under the name of the trust saying keeping granddad out of the care home. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's not entirely funny because uh, none of us are getting any younger. Uh, we find that young people are interested, but it's a transitory interest. They want to come out and have a trip, experience it and then move on to something else. Yeah. Um, and we've accepted that the volunteers that come to us will all be people that have recently retired. Um, they've got the time, they've got the skills. Um, that works. As long as we can keep that intake and sort of keep refreshing the crew, um, we, we can keep going. Yeah. Vessel herself, when we did the five-year um, update on her, we did that to, to try and give her a 60-year operational life. And, uh, um, probably the most critical thing are the engines which are 80 years old now and we just nurse those gently um, but she should be good for a long time yeah well fingers crossed I think you've done a wonderful job here it's a great project thank you Thank you all so much for listening and for supporting us this year. Do please to continue to help by spreading the word where and when you can. Please also make sure to find the Society for Nautical Research on social media. And you can find out about everything we've been doing and you can join as well. We'd love to have you aboard at snr.org.uk. Uh, please, in particular, do take the time to find the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube page, which has some of the most fabulous visual material presenting our maritime past in entirely new ways and there's more coming too we have a 3d animation of the titanic which you can explore and which is frankly astonishing as well as some extremely high definition super zoomed in video footage of two of the most interesting and impressive ship models in the collections of the national maritime museum that's all coming your way in the new year